Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit the follow button to get new episodes as soon as they come out. And leave a rating or review and let your friends and network know about the show. Previous guests on the show have included Steve Addison, Curtis Sargent, and Pam Arland. You could go back and listen to those episodes and more. But today's guest is Don Waybright. Don is a seasoned church planting movement practitioner and Great Commission leader. He now serves as global strategy leader for the movement organization Reach the Rest. We talk about how abiding with Jesus propels and sustains movement, how church planting movements are breaking out in prisons, and much more. It's a great conversation. So here's Don. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Don. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, glad to be here, man. Yeah, I, you know, I'd love to get into your story of how you uh, got turned on to church planning movements, disciple making movements, and your journey into that area. Um, as I got baptized in our 30s, my wife and I, and you know, we didn't have any traditional background in church. Mm-hmm. That we were always, as we read the Bible, we were always doing ministry outside the walls of the church. Yeah. And that was just our natural DNA. And then uh, I was in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I was working for Tyson Foods, mm-hmm. took perspectives course. And that yeah. really like ruined me. You know, I remember week two, the story of his glory. And that just changed the whole shift, kind of paradigm shift. And I ended up joining, uh, going full-time ministry in 2001. And I was on a big church in Tulsa, became the missions pastor. And that church had uh, Avery Willis, who was a influential person with the International Mission Board of Southern Baptists and, and orality movements and such. Mm-hmm. Um, he got me into what was called strategy coordinator training with the idea of developing strategy coordinator churches, where churches were to missionary to engage unreached people groups. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I did that like right at the beginning of ministry, full-time mm. ministry. Went to that. Some of the great practitioners, David Watson and some others, really poured into me at that point. And so I had that DNA set of multiplication <laughs> uh, right at the very beginning. That's just the way I thought about ministry. And that's, I mean, I, I just really couldn't even compromise. I couldn't do anything <laughs> other than multiplying disciples and, yeah. you know, simple, biblical and reproducible. 
That's that's fantastic. So what did it look like for you as you stepped into that strategy coordinator role within large churches uh, to to go off to unreached people groups and see multiplication take place on the ground? Uh, yeah, I mean, we started training up people and there, there was a paradigm shift for a lot of people, just to, the principles of multiplication. Yeah. Uh, they soon started embracing it as particularly as we saw fruit on the field you know, on the ends of the earth type of mm-hmm. mission. So that's where we were engaging it. And we were seeing some fruit and breakthroughs and, you know, just seeing the activity of God on display, which was just so exciting and, and inspired the church. Yet then trying to execute it locally was a great challenge yeah. and trying to incorporate it into all the spiritual formation processes of the church. That was a great challenge. I left uh, that church and came to Sugar Creek Baptist Church in Houston, 2005, and continued the same journey, uh, really trying to engage internationally with unreached people groups and real simple uh, church planning movement principles and saw some degrees of fruit and then tried to apply it locally. Mm-hmm. And so same thing, just experimenting with things, failing forward and such, and and just just kind of journeying with that. 2011, I came across and, and partnered with uh, Nathan Shank in the, the International Mission Board in North India. Mm-hmm. And that's that really changed everything. We, mm-hmm. we discovered some tools, this uh, tool called Four Fields, and this mm-hmm. kind of organic framework for that coupled evangelism and discipleship together and some, you know, some best practices and these simple biblical reproducible tools for evangelism and discipleship. And that just changed the game for us, man. Ch- mm. Shifted the call for church. We just started seeing tremendous fruit there from the harvest. Mm. And then, uh, and so that brought this momentum back to our church and these tools just started getting implemented. We started launching out uh, these tools with systematic training on a monthly basis. Yeah. We launched out uh, this no place left movement. We were kind of like a early adopter of the no place left movement. So we launched that out for Houston and really going after it with just equipping people, empowering a priesthood of believer with these simple tools. And, and so within a, a few years, we trained 3000 people at Sugar Creek hmm. and it really created you know, what I call gospel fluency in the yeah. life of the church, you know, just the, they're just the leaders are just thinking and breathing and and dialoguing from a lens of the gospel. Yeah. And they're expressing the gospel in all their circumstances of life. Mm. So when you, you say gospel fluency for, you know, for the church and everything we do, what does that mean for you uh, in practical terms? Uh. For, well, as a leader of it, you know, we're bringing it about trying to, you know, engage all the the circles of influence of our church. So we're uh, trying to see our ministries become fluent in that children's ministry, youth ministry, our simulation practices, uh, but also then try to engage with gospel language and conversations and interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, our neighbors, our workplaces, uh, different spectrums of you know, our schools and things like that. So how to roll that out in that regard. 
So as you're you're looking for for people with gospel gospel fluency, um, what are some practical ways that we could go and have uh, gospel conversations within our workplaces and the, our neighbors in our neighborhoods as we're outside of the walls of the church? Um, you know, I've, I've been you know walking with with people uh, and helping them share you know stories of Jesus and Jesus stories from their own life and and from the Bible with other people um, practically and it's one of those things I think within the church that uh, has been difficult for people to engage here in the West. When I was in the Middle East, it was the easiest thing in the world to sit down and have a conversation about Jesus with a Muslim. Um, but when I'm here in America, it seems to be difficult to have these conversations uh, for a lot of people. and They're scared to engage conversations about Jesus. What are some practical tips that you have seen that have been effective uh, for good gospel conversations within our neighbors, our neighborhoods, and our workplaces? Yeah, uh, that's that's great. That's the reality that I hear all the time. I, I think a few things, lessons learned on that would be first the whole posture before God of of ourselves, just the abiding posture, yeah. that surrendering and yielding and being filled with the Spirit and just the nearness to God and knowing God so intimately that He reflects on you. I mean, when people see you, they see the display of holiness and <laughs> So I think that's a, a unique thing because when you're in the workforce, um, you're on display. They yeah. they see how you interact with others. They see how you interact in difficult situations and challenging people. And so you're on display. So that display of holiness gives a, a degree of credibility there in the workplace as far as those conversations. And then even out of that, when we're surrendered and yielded and filled with the Spirit, this boldness, and we're listening to the voice of God, it just leads us to pursue these promptings of just really a a joyful lifestyle that's Hmm. contagious, but also a boldness, a boldness and a joy in our dialogue. So that abiding thing is so, Hmm. so important. And then, you know, we... First uh, Thessalonians 2.8, he says, I shared the gospel, but also my whole life. And so yeah. there's got to be a genuine love for that person to get to know them, uh, to care for them, to care about their needs, uh, to know about their life. So it doesn't come across transactional. You've yeah. got a great love story to tell them. And uh, you got to get to know them first and let them know you. And uh, And then out of that context, so many times, People face a crisis and they're going to come to you with that crisis. Yeah. And that's a great opportunity for the gospel out of that gospel centered relationship that you formed. Mm. That's good. I, you know, I often, you know, share with people as we're looking and trying to find people of peace, people that, that the gospel can start to flow through, that God has prepared, that open up their hearts to receive Him. Um, you know, oftentimes that. When we're out and about, that we're not actually finding persons of peace, but persons of peace are finding us, um, because yeah. you know, as we're engaging the world, um, and we actually start to look like Jesus, um, we're gonna start to be safe people for people to engage spiritual yeah. conversation with, and they're going to come to us with questions um, and start to engage Jesus uh, at their level. 
um, which I think is a is a beautiful thing. You know, I love what in Luke ten. I I like the actual um, sequence that Jesus lays out in Luke ten, which is uh, to go to if you find a person of peace to stay there and then to eat with them. And I think you know the first thing as we do is we eat is we actually have to get to know the person in front of us. What is their what is their need? What is their um, what would be good news to that person that we're talking to? And then it's to heal the sick is the next thing that Jesus says. And I think that's how do we in- help people have an encounter with Jesus? Um, and then it's proclaimed that the kingdom of God is near. It's proclaim that thing. And I think we often go about, um, and we have in the past um, a lot of times, proclaiming loudly without our our life and our lifestyle actually reflecting Jesus. Um, so how did, how have you seen, uh, any stories of impact when our lifestyle reflects Jesus, when we're abiding with him and we're engaging people, sharing good news for the person in front of us and then proclaiming afterwards, any good uh, stories of impact that you can share? Well, I mean, we see those stories like you described around the world and these, dark places and these persecuted places they'll come to us, man. They, you know, they'll be, we'll be praying with someone. They'll say, come pray with my, my family. And, you know, so that, that takes place all the time, but here locally, as you said, it's a cha- more challenging environment. Yeah. Uh, once again, it's, it's out of that contagious love that's on display from you. You know, I mean, mm. you, you have a genuine care for people. Um, you're, it's not a transactional thing that you're getting to, you're, you're getting to know them and to love them. You know, we've seen that in the hood here of Houston. We go routinely out into the streets, two by two, into the darkest block of Houston. It's just a really rough neighborhood and a lot of drug dealers and, and uh, prostitutes. And we've been doing it for so long, about four or five years. Uh, many times we're just praying with them listening to them. Mm-hmm. But when we listen to them, that's when no one listens to them. Mm. No one ever listens. No one, you know, one of the things I remember a long time ago, I was, I was doing this on Skid Row in LA. Uh, you see all the ministries all around. You'll see all this Christian ministries, food yeah. shelters, clothing shelters. So I walked up to this man and, and just said hi to him and, and, and asked him what he needed. And he told me, he says, look around. I don't need anything. I need someone to look me in the eye and treat me like I have value, like I, I have mm. dignity, a human being. And so out on this block in Houston, there's times where we really just listen to them. Mm. And we didn't try to get to the gospel. Uh, we didn't try to instruct them how to live. You know, we just listened to them and listened to their needs. And it really... It, it would shape them, man. They'd show up for an event and clean up the neighborhood and, and, and stuff like that. And so mm. we had stuff like that break through. Uh, but it's really that listening, genuine caring. Yeah. Uh, and, and really willing to get messy. I mean, we're seeing it in the red light districts uh, where we're seeing these movements. And it's really letting them know that we love them and care for them, mm. that they're not judging them. Yeah, and and it takes some physical touch. It'll take a hug, and let them know that you're secure. We do 
value you. You have dignity. You're, you were born in, in the image of Christ. We want to restore that image in, in your life and help you in that journey. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like uh, the difference between doing, doing so-called projects and actually just engaging people at their level of where they're at and seeing them as, you know, beloved children of God that were born uh, in the image of him uh, that, you know, for me, I like to say, you know, as a family uh, in the world, we are all just wayward sons and daughters of God that we're all family because we're made in the image of God. But it's how do we actually go about and start to connect one to another so that we can start to imitate Christ um, instead of imitating uh, the world or, you know, anything else that we're trying to imitate. And, you know, we, I think we all have the same desires. Um, and inherently, we have a desire, a spiritual desire to connect with God and to connect with one, mm-hmm. one to another uh, with yeah. a greater purpose. Um, and, you know, I love that it's not just a project, but it's, you know, we're seeing people uh, and engaging people um, at their level. Um, and so as we start to do that within city and within a city, uh, what does it look like? You know, I would love to see cities in America be transformed uh, for Christ to see really true shalom and peace uh, yeah. happen within cities. Um, as you're going about and engaging people one-on-one, how do we get to that place where cities are transformed um, and whole communities are transformed for Christ? Well, that's a great question, man, because by 2050, 90% of the world's going to be living in cities, yep. the global urbanization of the world. And we haven't done a good job. These movements that we track around the world are predominantly in rural settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, some of the top leaders in India, some of the top movement leaders in India, God's given them a vision for the cities of India, and they're really going after it hard. And they're mobilizing their significant networks of multiplying leaders mm-hmm. and moving them into these cities. And they started with like a hundred days of prayer, followed mm-hmm. by a thousand days in the harvest. And and I think we're going to learn a lot from them. These top you know, highest level practitioners and strategy coordinators in a sense that are engaged in cities. Uh, We're going to learn a lot from them, just the rhythms of life that are required to engage cities. It's not your normal nine to five, man. You got to, you got different (laughs) windows because it's active 24 hours a day. And, and you got all these different pockets of, of peoples and segments and, and different approaches and such. But I do think in the U S the challenge is a little bit different. You've got to have a spirit-led, a spirit-formed, spirit-fueled collaboration between these apostles that are are breaking new territory and the traditional churches. Mm. So there's got to be the spirit of God's got to come together and bring them both together, and then start equipping, start empowering the priesthood of believer, releasing them to reach their oikos, to reach their relationship maps and our, you know, our churches, our mega churches, if, if we can empower all of them working together for a purpose such as that, uh, pray, prayer walking our streets, loving on our neighbors, flowing through their relationship maps, we have mm-hmm. a chance to see a, a culture shift in our cities. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. So as we uh, start to engage our uh, relationship maps, um, what does it look like for an individual going into that place and a group of people say we have, you know, a group of five or six that say we really want to, we have this neighborhood, this is where we live, this is where we work and play, um, and we want to start to engage this. This is our relationship map here, our oikos. Um, what does that look like as, you know, for your your strategy, you know, if you looking at uh, for field strategy or whatever you're going after, what does it look like for that group of people to really impact that neighborhood practically? What are some steps that they could take to see uh, that neighborhood transform? Well, we haven't done a good job of it here in our local context. Uh, we've experimented quite a bit. One of the things that we've moved to, you know, we've had great challenges with the covid People were fearful of uh, letting us in their houses. Yeah. Even though they were receptive to the gospel, it was very challenging to get any type of follow-up mm. in their homes and, and such. But that's starting to lessen. Um, one of the things we quit doing was inviting the church and instead inviting them to discover the love of Jesus and yeah. then form them into family groups and and start meeting with them as regularly as we could, because even in the community that we're, we've been targeting this kind of a lower middle class type of uh, single family homes, uh, people are struggling to work and get jobs and different hours, different days. And so it was, you know, got to try to meet that demand. So we got to be flexible on our schedule. We just can't say, hey, we're going Wednesday nights at, you know, such and such time. Yeah. Uh, our practitioners got to be very flexible with their schedule and be willing to do what it takes to get to disciple making versus just getting to that gospel conversation that took place. Mm. Mm. So then if we're we're starting to adapt and we're getting to a place of disciple making, what are some good things that you have seen t- to make disciples uh, with people? Um, what does it look like to become a disciple of Jesus together in a neighborhood? Well, I mean, it's whether it's here, it's inside of our churches, it's in the prisons or in the harvest fields around the world. One of the best practices is this T for T or just three thirds, Mm -hmm. uh, the simple uh, biblical uh, model of, you know, creating some biblical community around the word of God self-discovering the word of God in that group together and then obeying the word of God and then and loving accountability to one another. So I, I think it's a, a best practice. I've seen it work mm. yeah. in every context and, you know, just in a loving community where people love loud and care for one another, mm. you're, you're learning, discovering the commands of God, of Jesus Christ, and then you're obeying them. You're putting together mm. simple action plans in my context, how I could live it out. And then you're just kind of lovingly holding one another mm. accountable to that and, yeah. and and feeding off of that. And it works in everywhere. Mm. You know what I, you know, as we're discovering uh, the truth in the Bible and we're looking to obey it and put it into practice, um, you know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that if you're going to build your house on the rock, you're going to hear the words of mine and put them into practice. Um, and so we actually have to put them into practice. But what I love 
what what you were talking about there within that discovery process, uh, the three thirds group, uh, discovery Bible study, whatever you want to call it. There's this thing as you you go. There's the balance between obedience and love, and love and obedience, yeah. and there it goes yeah. back and forth. Um, if we you know focus too heavily on obedience and obedience right. only without love, uh, we're gonna burn out and it'll be legalism. Um, yeah. If we focus too heavily on love. Um, it, it's going to be just too uh, yeah. grace-filled that we're going to fall on the the other end as well. So what is that balance that you have seen between love and obey, and how does do those work together? Uh, just, uh, I think you described it well. The structure of that three-thirds helps you to remember to put that into practice. Mm. And, and you just got to go with the Spirit. It's a Spirit-led thing. The whole, you're inviting the Holy Spirit into that and you're habitating with the spirit of God and you know, your leaders really need to meet and to know Jesus Mm. and they got to be flowing in that. So some days there may be, you know, someone there in your group may have some deep concerns and you just got to love them. Mm. And you may have to, you know, not even go to the word that day. You might have to put aside whatever you plan and just love on that person. And so it's really just flowing in the spirit and got, you have leaders that are just, they know Jesus and they're deeply in love with Jesus and it just reflects in how they lead. Mm. You know, in, in Houston or anywhere else uh, in the U S I think, you know, we've seen a lot of good movements around the world, but in the U S um, what are, because we have uh, uh, people in places that are really spread out and I think with with mega churches, what's happened is we've we've decided to hey we could drive thirty minutes to church, um, so we could be on there on a Sunday morning with a whole bunch of people um, and and doing something, and then we we gather into some you know some small groups around something, um, and we have a little bit of community. But if that small group is has some distance, um, and they drive 15, 20 minutes to get to one another. You know, once a week or so, there's not a lot of life on life. It's just, hey, we're going to meet for a couple hours once a week. Um, are there some things and some some best practices that you've seen multiplication take place within within micro churches or small groups that been able to multiply? Um, are they neighborhood based? Are they people that that come together? Are they affinity based? Um, what are ways that you have seen multiplication take place within the U.S. Um, so that we can make sure that we are, are are setting and laying down good foundations from the beginning? Yeah, I think uh, in the s- small case studies that I have seen in the U.S. In different settings, um, one you've got that characteristic of fellowship and loving for one another and and enjoying one another, uh, getting into the word, uh, maybe obeying the word, and you're talking about obedience. But really, I think the key is keep the mission before the group. And mm-hmm. together, as a community, they're engaging the mission, uh, mm-hmm. whether it is loving on the neighbors of their street, uh, looking at the, you know, what's the darkness or what's the giant that's that's preventing your neighborhood or your community from experiencing that shalom in a sense. Yeah. I mean, and as a group, keeping that vision and doing that together and having mm. that sense of 
of oneness there. So uh, that's been one of the key things is not just the fellowship and getting around the word, but it's really the mission uh, that has been the fabric of keeping them together and, mm-hmm. and willing to make some sacrifices and get uncomfortable when it's, you know, you got to drive this far or such. And, and so that there's a genuine desire to be with one another because you're a team that's uh, affecting your culture. Mm. That's good. Uh, put the mission uh, forefront and keep yeah. it right in the in the front front and center to make sure you know what is our purpose, where we're we going, uh, what is our mission. You mentioned prisons the other uh, just a little while ago. Um, yeah. What are some uh, some exciting things that are happening within prisons? I've heard that you know there's a lot there's movement happening happening in prisons. Um, yeah. <laughs> what's happening? Well, in the in the Texas prisons, we launched out this four fields training. And uh, so back in about 214, there was a group of men that I was training systematically with over a course of a year and then did a, some intensives with. And they they got shifted. They got reassigned to some church or some other prison. So in 215, these two guys went to the biggest prison in Texas, Cofield Prison, 6,000 inmates. And when they got there, they just surveyed the land. There was maybe about four known Bible studies going on. And they just started rolling out this four fields and just started mm-hmm. living it out. Uh, they, they did it in the chapel at first, and they were actually kicked out of the chapel by the Christians that didn't buy into their <laughs> philosophy of ministry, the simple, biblical, reproducing, yeah. multiplying stuff. So they took it into day rooms and, and such and started seeing fruit. And then they got invited back into the chapel and all the programs there. And they basically developed a no place left or four fields residency. It was like a 12 week intensive Mm. and it ended up having like four different levels to it. And I don't know how many men they trained, but within two years they had over 500 baptisms and they Mm. had over 280 groups that in every living area of the prison that function as church. Wow. They had the, the warden told me that gospel conversations, you just hear the gospel 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And wow. it shifted the, the culture of that prison. Hmm. I was there one time when they were baptizing some inmates and I saw this. Uh, they were baptizing about 50 guys and and then they were following it with Lord's Supper. And there was this guy, Aryan Nation. Dude, he was covered head to toe with prison tattoos. I mean, just a scary looking guy and just a, you know, just the embodiment of racism. Mm. And and here he was. He was being baptized by the black brother that led him to Jesus. Wow. And they got up out of that water. They embraced each other. Mm. And that was just like I just had tears. It was like this. That's what reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation is all about. Yeah. and so you really saw that uh, in that prison, it just shifted the culture. The day rooms that were once uh, dominated by gangs and drug dealing uh, became Bible studies. And, and mm. you know, you just really saw that uh, inmates were wanting to get transferred to that prison because they heard about the culture shift. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it really, really flowed out of there. And you know, another another characteristic of that, they're all cloistered together. Yeah. And right. The, they're all on display. You can smell their stinks. You know, it's 
That's what they call it. And you got to be real. I mean, yep. if you say that you're this Christian, you better be the display of holiness, man. You better show the glory of God by yep. the way you live. And so they really hold high standards, but they love one another deeply. Mm. And it really led to a, a movement that's taking place. Now we're seeing uh, a lot of these guys. It's like by the sovereign will of God, we're seeing some of our best leaders get transferred to other prisons. And yeah. we're, we're going in kickstarting these four fields residencies and about four or five other prisons. I'll be in one uh, this Thursday uh, getting it started. Wow. And, you know, as you said that, you know, they're cloistered together, that they are there within the prison with each other. And, you know, that mm -hmm. gives uh, what they have time. Uh, they yeah. they have proximity. Um, yeah. There's all sorts of things that that enable movement within this yeah. prisons. What happens uh, when they get out? Yeah, it's a big gap for us. We've got to do better with that. Um, there's two guys I just mentioned that started that movement. They just got moved to another prison that, that was nearby. It's called Pallage. It's a transition unit, mm. and uh, our whole goal, and we think God sent them there to start doing something such that we're training up and equipping these guys to be movement leaders that are transitioning out and then help them get on their feet because that's the yeah. gap. They need a, a way to get on their feet and then engage into the mission. Um, mm. uh, so that is a big gap that a lot of us are aware of. Mm. So what is it? What do you think it would take? How can, how can believers uh, in Jesus that come together and help, uh, in transitioning uh, inmates back into society, how can we help get people on their feet? Yeah, I think uh, some best practices. I mean, a lot of these guys may not have any support systems or their support systems are not what we want them to be around. <laughs> mm -hmm. It ends up getting them back into prison. And so it's going to have to be uh, a residency type of a setting where they've got a season to uh, get on their feet. They learn some skills about, you know, re-entry into society. And at the same time, they start getting introduced to the new harvest fields on the, on the free world harvest fields. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good. And I, you know, I think that, you know, especially, you know, in these movements, uh, we can't discount uh, anybody. Um, you know, movement leaders can come from anywhere, from any yeah. backgrounds. Um, you know, we could see, you know, the disciples of Jesus came from a lot of different backgrounds, um, and they were raised up, and they were very unlikely uh, yeah. disciples to to come and lead the movement uh, that we see today. So uh, we don't want to discount anybody. You know, as you're looking um, and as you're engaging around the world and what you've seen, what are some places or things that are really getting you excited uh, at the moment? Well, I told you about that uh, city movement that yeah. uh, they call lights in India. That's it's, it's creating tremendous fruit. Mm. They had a fair time last fall, but they started the harvest intensive uh, th this, you know, at the beginning of the year and the numbers are extraordinary. It's, and then we're learning from it and, doing some down downstream development of leaders and stuff. So it's, it's, it's very fruitful, but really 
in every hard place, my goodness, in every persecuted environment, we're just seeing the kingdom of God break through exponentially. Mm. Uh, whether it's in Nigeria amongst the, you know, right now, Nigeria, northern Nigeria would be the highest concentration of martyrs, Christian martyrs in the world. It's dangerous to, to do yeah. ministry. Today. But you got these men and women that are just, you know, they're filled with the spirit surrendered to Jesus. And they're going there with great mm. effectiveness and rolling out these uh, multiplication principles and seeing it breakthroughs and signs and wonders and demonstrations of the spirit's power accompanying the gospel mm. go out. We're seeing it with Afghans, uh, yeah. Yemeni leaders, yeah. um, the Iranian movement um, throughout this whole tension belt of Africa, where you, know, you got this Muslim incursion and these jihadists and this extremism, we're just seeing breakthroughs in mm. this one area of, uh, the Horn of Africa in Southwest Ethiopia, that's a Muslim dominated environment. Um, tens of thousands of baptisms in the past six months. Mm. I mean, the kingdom of God is, is blowing up exponentially. And then even in these really dark places, as we're engaging these cities, uh, we're seeing the emergence of the red light background believers. You know, we talked yeah. mythologically reaching the Muslims with MBBs, you know, mm -hmm. but seeing God, slay the giant of the darkest depravity in our cities hmm. by raising up these RBBs, these red light background believers hmm. and seeing them multiply the kingdom within their own, you know, networks and such. Hmm. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I mean, where the gospel flows and who gets to, to come out as, you know, people that start to start to lead, um, you know, it's just, I, I'm just reflecting that you know, we often discount a lot of people um, yeah. because of their backgrounds, um, right. and you know, Jesus doesn't discount people, um, yes. and Jesus sees everyone. Um, and so, I just, I just love that there people are not discounted, that uh, they're not disqualified because of what happens in their past, um, their background, where they came from, who they were, uh, because you know, once you 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 get Jesus, uh, you get to be transformed into, yeah. you know, you have newness yeah. in Christ, yeah. um, which is so beautiful. Um, and it's just amazing. It's just the power of what the gospel is and does um, through people's lives. Uh, I just yeah. think that's so amazing, incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you if there are three, uh, you know, two or three, one, two, three uh, paradigm shifts. For people to move from um, the status quo of their Christian life into disciple making and multiplication, what are some paradigm shifts that you think that we should should move into? Well, first, uh, there's no silver bullet with methodology, whether it's four fields, DMM, CPM. It's we follow Jesus, and it's it's really this a deep intimacy of knowing Jesus and him knowing you. Mm, that's good. Uh, so really that surrender, that yielding, that intimate love relationship with the living God. Mm. And, and out of that, everything starts shifting. Your prayer life shifts. Uh, just you, you start listening, hearing the voice of God more. And, and, and if you have a desire for his dreams and his heart, I mean, his, 
his economy is multiplication. I mean, yeah. that's the only way he does it. <laughs> <laughs> and so as you abide, you're, the more you abide and just enjoy that and you begin to walk in obedience to the commands of Christ, simple commands, you can obey immediately, you know, mm. what you learn. So again, there's practitioners, there's good people all over the country. Uh, you know, this uh, 2414 movement, the yeah. No Place Left movement, there's great practitioners, great trainings all over the country. Um, enter into that, go check it out, kick the tires and learn from that and let discover from scripture itself uh, self-discover from scripture as as you're in that intimate relationship with a living god uh, just what to do and mm. you'll see that all these practices are derived from scripture and then enter into it and watch what god does and don't mm. do it alone take someone with you <laughs> i love that it's uh intimacy with intimacy with christ discovering uh the truth found in scripture uh for yourself and go with others. Um, yeah, I love that. A couple questions I'd like to ask here at the end. Number one, if you could go back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? <laughs> Don't do what I was doing. <laughs> oh. oh, man, I wish I was living for Jesus. And I just, hmm. you know, the greatest thing, I see these young people, and I'm seeing some of these young practitioners just on fire for Jesus at that age. Yeah. And it just warms my heart and just stay the course, man. And just have that intimacy with Jesus. Really uh, don't get so caught up in the methodologies and some of these, you know, you get along with some of these great practitioners and you want to yep. learn their tools, but really learn how they walk with Jesus and, mm. uh, and continue that walk. And you'll discover uh, all these tools and all these methodologies yeah. that will produce fruit. Hmm. That's really good. Anything you've been reading or watching lately you could recommend? Well, I just, uh, I just, just really been digging into the whole abiding. I've been listening to some Francis Chan, uh, yeah. and just, just the way he communicates and his whole focus, once again, isn't on methodology. It's just on knowing Jesus and loving Him deeply, mm. and and so really all this abiding. Um, I mean, I think it all just flows out of that. I've, you know, we got some great, you know, I think we got, we call them some giants in methodology, but man, we got to have, we got to have some giants in this posture of abiding. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think so. I think that's, uh, that's definitely needed. 100% um, it's needed. And, you know, I think as we start to abide um, and we become a Jesus culture, um, mm. you know, that's going to shift things uh, more than any strategy can ever shift. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the they don't care about our world. political no. views. And they, can, they, they want to know how we love. Yeah. And, and the world doesn't love that way. And we need a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of loving. Yep, I agree. I agree. Uh, Don, thank you. This has been, uh, this has been fascinating. It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. it was good. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it deeply. Yes. Thanks. All right. Anything, if you could leave uh, us with one thing, what would you leave us with? Oh, the, the power of the gospel. I mean, it's, it's a love story. God is love, so he gave us the gospel. He inhabits the gospel. Mm. Uh, that seed, 
that seed, when it's planted, it just brings forth life. It, it has the power of creation, it has the, the power of the blood. It transforms a person. It transforms marriages and families, and it can lead to the entire transformation of a community. And, you know, the whole story of the mustard seed, that's, that's mm. that gospel seed, man. It's mm. so little, but, man, it's so powerful. And it mm. contains the love of God. And, uh, man, we just got to we got to sow it abundantly and live it extremely. Mm. Amen. Well, thank you, Don. It was a privilege. Yeah, you too, man. Love you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, It really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.